Hey, as you can see, we are continuing our series. Thank you. Good morning, everybody else. We're continuing our series, Shadow King, but I just want to pause for a second, and I want to say hey to Samson. I'm sure you're tuning in. I don't know what time it is there. You're either watching replay or you're watching on YouTube a little bit later. Hey, we love you, and we're so glad to have you as a part of our church family. Uh, we're thankful that we were able to, to reach you in the Dive Ball Unit, and we're thankful that you are now making a difference through your family and your friends in India, and we know that you reached out to us to pray for you um, and, and your family and all of India that's being greatly impacted by COVID. I I want you to know that we are doing that. We're doing that as a staff. We're doing that as a church. And we're going to continue to pray for you because you're family. We want to lift family up. We're so grateful you joined us. Hey, can we say thank you to Samson for tuning in and being a part of our family one more time? It's, it's such an incredible story of not just hope, but also inspiration to know that this, is, this goes far beyond Lufkin, Nacogdoches, um, even Dybal Duncan, e- even our Iglesia, the, the people that we're reaching here in the Timber Country. You guys remember Irma from Chicago. You, now we have a, f- a friend named Samson that we know, and we know there's so many more that are tuning in online week in and week out, and they are no different than you. Some of them are in Pennsylvania, Texas. I think we had uh, just under like 40-something states tuning in. Uh, around Easter Sunday, like God is doing amazing things here at Timber Creek, amen? Amen. And we're excited uh, to continue this series, The Shadow King. It's been a phenomenal series. Pastor Jeremy, if you have missed any of this, really to kind of get the scope of how massive this story of David is um, and, and how it really does point to all things Jesus throughout the entire story, you really gotta go back and check out the previous sermons. So if you've missed one, um, we can make it make sense week, week to week, but it really would tie it all together for you and also show you where you fit in the story uh, each week. So I, I encourage you to go back on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, You can check us out on our app or timbercreekchurch.com. Go back and check out the recap because today we're uh, talking about, we're still on King Saul. So we haven't made it to actual King David yet. David is a boy from Bethlehem who was anointed from uh, Samuel, who uh, last week came on the scene, defeated Goliath, became a national hero in Israel. And he was a nobody from this little town called Bethlehem. And if you know the name Bethlehem, it's because there was also a little boy about a thousand years later, born in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem. And, and obviously that's the, the real King Jesus um, that represents, um, David represents Jesus. He's the perfect uh, King. Jesus is the perfect King. David is a representative to the nation of Israel and for God uh, to his people. So that's, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're still in the kingship of Saul. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Saul and where we've made it to this point, David kills Goliath last week. He's carrying around his head. Saul says, who is this guy? I need to know who this guy is. And so he asks his, one of his high-ranking officials, he says, I need to know who this boy is, where he's from, who his father is, because that was really important uh, to know, uh, to be able to know the, the, the name and the heritage and who this is. And so in, uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it starts, and he says, Abner, go out and find out who this boy is. So Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David, still holding the Philistine's head. Like, this guy's just dragging this thing around. He's probably four foot, five foot nothing at this point. You know, probably 15, maybe 12 years old. We we don't really know how old he was at this point. We know he was a teenager. Dragging this massive head of a nine foot giant around. And he says, hey, bring him to me. So still dragging the Philistine's head. um, He said, whose son are you, young man? 
Saul asked him, David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. So again, it's just that pointing, that, that foreshadowing of the real king that would come a thousand years later, Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. Just an incredible, uh, it, 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 it just goes to show how much life their Bible really has. This isn't just a history book that's supposed to sit on a, sit on a, sit on a shelf. That, <laughs> don't say those too many times too quick. Sit on a shelf. Now you're here. Hello, everybody. Good morning. I just got a text from Pastor Jeremy. He said, what'd you say? <laughs> it's a great book that is full of life. <laughs> and it supports itself. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not done. We're getting it. So here we go. Um, so he gets to know him, and um, this is really the beginning of the end for Saul. Um, so Saul is going to have the kingdom ripped from him because of his disobedience. Again, you can go back and check that out in one of the previous sermons. Um, but this is kind of the beginning of the end for Saul, and we're going to pick up right here and begin to see kind of what really, along with the disobedience, is what really leads Saul uh, to his own demise. In First uh, Samuel chapter 18... We're going to pick up in verse 5. Um, so he gets really excited, really proud, and, and to have David on his side. Uh, knows that David not only defeated the, the giant, but also went on and defeated the, the Philistine army that was there with him. And so now he's sending David on all these other exhibitions and, and campaigns. And he's like, David's having massive success and is gaining a huge following. And so people are getting really excited for him. Saul himself is really excited to have David with him. So he brings him in, and this is what it says. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David, uh, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home, so just like in today's culture, in today's time, when we have our troops come home from overseas, when we, we get excited to see them return, whether they have had success in battle or not, we're excited just to see them, but it became a, a massive ordeal when there was a victory. And so there'd been many victories here. And so this is what was happening. Um, when the men uh, were returning from their home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with dancing, with joyful songs, and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Okay? So, so they're already kind of attributing David to more than Saul has ever done. And Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry and this refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought but me only with thousands, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The New Living Translation says, next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. Everybody say jealous. He kept a, a jealous eye on David. And he, he actually, he chose to keep him around so that he could protect himself and he could protect his kingdom because he started realizing, wow, David, David's got a lot going for him and they're singing songs that, are, that sound a lot better for him than they do for me. I'm their king. I've got to keep him around here and make sure that I am still in control, that I'm still in charge, that I'm not going to have some, you know, coup uh, for my kingship, that I'm not going to have someone come. And remember that uh, Saul, King Saul does not know that David was anointed king. He, he does not know that Samuel anointed David to be king because Samuel had went off on kind of a private mission to find the up and coming king after God told Samuel Saul is going to be, his, the, the kingship is going to be stripped from him. So this is all kind of a secret thing. Saul has no idea, but I think he's starting to kind of get an idea in his mind. And here's what happens. It, it's going to begin to get in his heart and it's going to, going to begin to fester and going to begin to grow. And eventually it's going to lead to what we talk about in just a few minutes. 
Um, in a matter of moments, Saul moves from celebration to competition. He moves from celebrating David and all that he had done, moves from celebrating his kingdom and all the success that he had had against the Philistines. Now he's moving into competition. And what's crazy, David has no idea there's a competition. Like David's just doing what he's been called to do. David's just doing what he's been asked to do from King Saul. And he has no idea that there's a competition. Kind of like in high school when you had that person that you were competing with and now you like look back and you're like, oh yeah, uh, I knew they were gonna go to jail. Knew she was gonna have 16 kids. Like it was like that person that you had no idea even who you were and like you were envious of them, you were jealous of them, kind of had a jealous eye on them. Well, that's actually what we're talking about today. We're talking not about you in high school. We're talking about envy. Everybody say envy. Jealousy, envy, they kind of go hand in hand. Envy sounds a little bit more sinister. So we're talking about that. And in a matter of moments with this envy, David moves from an ally to the kingdom and now he becomes a threat to Saul's kingship. And he, he doesn't even know what's going on. Like he's just dancing and you know, he's enjoying obviously the fame and the, and the people that are following him. He's in, enjoying everybody singing to him. And he's probably not really thinking a whole lot about the, the numbers that he's hearing because Saul's sitting in a corner over here hearing 1,000 versus 10,000. He's hearing they like him right now than, a lot more than they like me. And he begins to fester and he begins to envy what is going on in David's life and what is going on with this person that is around him that has had success and now he's right here in front of him, possibly gonna take the throne someday or possibly gonna, gonna overthrow him, possibly gonna do something that would, that would mess up Saul's kingdom. Envy is a, is a really powerful word. Envy is a really powerful thing. And in fact, the very first definition in the Webster's Dictionary says this, envy is a painful, everybody say painful. A painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. It's a painful or resentful um, thing inside of you. It's, a, it's, it's an awareness that they have an advantage that I don't have and I want that advantage. Maybe it's a physical advantage. Maybe it's body envy. Maybe it's, maybe it's a social advantage. They have more friends than I do. They have more, more followers than I do. They have more, more people around them. When, when they have a party at their house, everybody comes. When they have a gathering at work, everybody comes and everybody celebrates them. When I, when I have a party, two people come and it's me and my wife. Like, that's it. Like, well, what's going on here? Like, you, you begin to envy things. You begin to envy things that they don't even realize that you're envying, right? It might be a, um, a, a financial advantage that they have. They might have worked their entire life to build something they might have come into an inheritance. They might have gotten something and you begin to look at their advantage and you begin to want and desire and crave and re really like I need what they have. I want what they have so bad that it's kind of tearing me up inside because it's becoming painful and I'm kind of becoming resentful toward that individual. You see, Saul, he didn't become angry. He didn't become resentful. He didn't become anything towards David except excited and proud and probably kind of like, you know, fathering figure. Like, I'm so excited that I found this boy and then he came onto the field. He destroyed the giant. Like, he didn't feel anger or anything towards him until he heard this. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And in a moment, all of a sudden, a friend possibly kind of like a son figure, a, a soldier in his army, a captain of some of his uh, military becomes a threat to himself. And it's kind of like this with us. Um, we don't envy, we, we don't have resentment or things towards people unless they have an advantage over us, unless they have more followers on us than Instagram and we begin to watch and we begin to compare and we get, begin to change our filters to match their filters. We begin to change our clothes to match their clothes. We begin to, to make our captions sound a little bit more like their captions, but the problem is we're not gaining any more followers and their followers just keep going up and we're like, what is happening? They got 10,000, I've got 
100. Like, I, there's no way. So you begin to envy. Social media can be dangerous, y'all. Like, it, it's a great thing. And for those of you tuning in online, using social media, we're, like, that is, a, that is a reason social media is incredible, that we're able to reach people in India. We're able to reach people across the world. We're able to reach people right now that aren't able to be at church today. But also, it can be a very dangerous thing, especially linked to this word envy. And envy is something that really it's kind of innate inside of us. It's something that's kind of down in there inside of us with our sin nature. It's just something that is there that we really have to deal with. We really have to manage. We really have to understand that it's there. And sometimes we don't even realize we're envying things and we're changing ourselves. We're changing everything based on someone else's circumstance, based on someone else's likes, based on someone else's followers. Um, we don't, we don't um, envy someone until we think that they married up. Man, I wish my husband was like him. I wish my wife was like her. I wish, I wish they could do what they're supposed to do because I, I literally, I see on Instagram, like he's mowing the yard and he's cooking and what, what is my guy doing? He's sitting there, you know, playing video games. He's doing something like, uh, listen, I have not mowed the yard in two weeks, but I feel like I have a little bit of a... Um, it's called rain. I have a little bit of an excuse. Anybody else using that excuse right now? My house is the first house in the neighborhood, and it's like, it's, it's like knee high. It's looking real bad. Um, but listen, with the rain, I got an excuse, okay? But, but maybe, maybe you're not envying someone until you begin to see, wow, they're... Their wife, their husband is better than mine. They look better than mine. And, and that envy can lead to, to some sort of sin very quickly. In fact, in the Bible, there, there's an individual we're gonna talk about. And as he begins to envy, it says, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door because what's happening is you're eyeing that individual, you're eyeing that thing, you're eyeing something, and you begin to desire it so much within your heart that you're one step away from causing major destruction in your life by sinning just to get something that you don't have that somebody else does. It can really lead to destruction really quickly. Um, envy, you don't get to envy people until they have more money in the bank than you, right? A person with $1,000 in their checking account isn't gonna envy somebody that has $50 in their checking account. They're not, I wish, I really wish I had their checking account. Like, that, that, that makes no sense. But the moment 1,500 hits and somebody else has, you know, a larger bank account than you, they're a better investor than you are, they've made better financial decisions than you have, you might begin to envy them. You might begin to want what they have. You might begin to desire what they have, and maybe even you're, you're changing, you're, you're doing things, and what's crazy, guys, just like David, David's a little naive in this moment, he has no idea, like, it, it, the people around us that we begin to envy, they probably have no idea you're envying them. Like, honestly, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a pat on the back when you begin to envy somebody, but most times those people don't even know, and they'd probably feel really weirded out if you were envying the things that they have, right? They, they probably would, but, but a lot of times it's so internal that we don't even realize we're, being, we're keeping a jealous eye on somebody just because they have an advantage that we don't have. Um, envy comes down to uh, things with the er at the end of it. Right, he, we have a, a better house, a, a quicker um, a refund, a, a faster kid, a smarter kid, um, a better cook, like all these things that you start uh, adding at the end of earth, skinnier, prettier, stronger, right? We put that earth at the end of it and that's when envy begins to take root in our life. We begin to understand like, wow, that looks a lot better than what I have. He looks a lot better than what I have. She looks a lot better than what I have. This would probably be a lot 
bigger house than I have. Like this person has a way bigger house than me and maybe I should make an adjustment. Maybe we should go sell this home and go buy a bigger house. And what happens is sometimes we get into financial trouble, we get into spiritual trouble, we get into physical trouble because we're trying to one-up somebody. We're overcompensating based on the envy that's in our heart and that's a dangerous game to play. Like that, that gets us into trouble faster than anything and we don't even realize that it's envy that is driving all of our decision-making. We, uh, I, love, I love Instagram, um, it's, it's great, it's fun to use, um, but it's incredibly difficult to use, especially if you are like a perfectionist. So we took this picture uh, for Christmas this year, cute picture of my kids, or not. <laughs> oh, like I was expecting like an aww, like first service, they were like oh, you guys are like, I don't envy that. Like, <laughs> okay, that's cool, that, that's okay, I understand. Anyway, we took this picture, this picture took me about 20 minutes to filter um, and edit and you know, I'll edit the exposure and change everything to make it look right. It, it still didn't look as right. My son's smile looks a little crooked. He doesn't walk around like that, like he actually smiles. That's just the best we could do. I mean, he's like one, I think he just turned two years old maybe there. Um, and then I, I was like, the caption, is it gonna make sense? Do they understand that raw pajamas are dinosaur pajamas? Um, do they think I'm weird because I'm wearing dinosaur pajamas? I am weird, but like, that's a, like this is our family thing. It's what we do. We like buy pajamas the moment they come out in September because they all sell out. So we go to Target, we all get pajamas. It's a lot of fun, right? Um, but here's what really happened, and it only has 70 likes. Um, really got to step up in that game. But anyway, here's what really happens. I, I'm not kidding. I have a whole scroll, probably... Um, I would probably say 150 pictures uh, from this. And we had it on a stand, we had lighting, like everything was like, it was like slated to be the perfect family photo shoot. Every, every photographer in here knows that there's no such thing. Um, but th these are what they look like right here. You're just scrolling like a blurry head, blurry face. We got the Joker over here. Like, what is happening? Literally, and we would go back and we would look and we see these photos. And I mean, it took probably an hour and a half to get one photo that we could post on Instagram. And that hopefully, you know, other people would, you know, try to match our family and our, our pajamas. And the, the, it's ridiculous what we do. It's ridiculous. When I, I probably could have posted the first one and it probably could have gotten the same amount of traction, the same amount of likes, and, but, but we overcompensate based on things that we've seen. Well, I've seen other families in their pajamas and they, they're like out in a, they're, they're on a boat somewhere on some yacht. Like how do they even get out there on a yacht with their pajamas? Like, and we begin to overcompensate like all of these things that we do based on other people's lives, based on other people's experience, based on other people and what they have, their advantages. Envy is a very dangerous thing. In fact, what's crazy is we, a lot of times, because we envy, remember, it's internal, it's something we don't always catch, it's something we don't always know is there. Because we're envying people, a lot of times, the stories of failure, we like better than the stories of success. Like, think about this, SportsCenter, um, for you guys and gals that watch SportsCenter or any sports channel, one failure, one slip up, they're gonna be on SportsCenter for six months. Every, every they're gonna be on sports radio, they're gonna be on every sport, like it, it's exhausting to watch reruns and, and, and the same story, the same thing, like they don't have all the information, but it's the exact same story, like six million times over, because this guy who made it to the top or this girl who made it to the top made this decision and they failed, and all the washed up people that are doing the, the podcast or that are, on the, uh, that are on the talk radio, that are on there, the, the ones that actually didn't make it, like that becomes the story that they like grow from. They grow their following, they grow their viewers, they, they get more attention that way. Fox News, CNN, every news outlet does it. We thrive off of people's failures. Like, literally as I was writing this, I was thinking, how many, 
How many documentaries right now off the top of my head can I think of that have nothing to do with somebody murdering somebody or somebody in power that fell, somebody that didn't, you know, that, that just did life well, made it all the way, had a perfect family and went all, not perfect, but you know, like at least close to perfect, went all the way and they're doing successful and they're living a great life. Like anybody know a documentary like that right now? Like Netflix is probably not full of them at all. Like Netflix is full of like crazy murder stories. You have 48 hours, you don't have 48 hours. Like this family did a great job and they live in Lufkin, Texas and they're doing, they, they love life and they've not murdered anybody. And the, the man works, for, works hard for a living. The, the, the wife works hard. They, they bring the, the dinner home to the kid. Like you don't have stories like that. You have stories of where this man cheated on this, this woman killed him and this, like it's crazy stuff. And we thrive off of that because hey, my envy of that person or that individual that we probably have no idea who they are and they definitely don't know who we are, but our envy towards them makes us think, okay, they failed, so I'm one step closer to being able to sit in the seat that they were sitting in, right? It's it's crazy to think that that's how our mentality works. And listen, we're not all terrible people in here. We all don't love when people fall or fail, but there's something internal, that human nature, that sin nature that's inside of us, and it kind of draws towards that. It kind of pushes us towards that, it's inside of us. So we have three stages of envy um, that really everything starts with and everything gets towards. Uh, you, you have Saul here, he started with, um, th- with this first one, it's called comparison. He began to compare the numbers, right? He began to compare 10,000 versus 1,000. Clearly they like David more, he's got more followers, he's got more traction than I do. I'm kind of becoming the old washed up guy and I'm beginning to see. So he's comparing his life, his success now to David in the same way that we compare houses, we compare jobs, we compare uh, paychecks, we compare cars, we compare things all day long, especially we compare, we compare, we compare. Like it's not because about 15, 20 years ago you could go to the grocery store and you would compare based off kind of what's there on uh, on the magazines, right? Whether it was like body envy or or whether it was like, you know, the, the richest man alive or sexiest man alive, sexy, like you have all these things that cause us to, to envy what they have and what they want and w- or what we want because of what they have and all this stuff. But now it's right in front of us. And literally the world, the algorithms, everything is, is staged to make you envy, to make you want more. Like it's, it's freaky because you talk about, like, I wonder, that TV seems a little small. I saw Dave's TV. Dave, if you're in here, I'm sorry. We're talking about David, so I just went. But Dave, Dave's TV, he's like got a 75 inch, and mine's 72 inch. They didn't even make that size of TV, but just just stick with me for a second. And like two seconds later, you jump on Instagram or Facebook, and it's like 85 inch TV, two thousand dollars. You're like, hey, babe, where's the credit card? And it's like it's like it's freaky how that happened. All of you know it in here. You're like, huh? Was I talking? Was I thinking? Like, you don't even know how it knows, but it just does know, and it's freaky, and it's weird, and I don't understand. Mark Zuckerberg, please don't kick us off for this, but like, it's really weird. Like, I don't understand what is going on and what you're listening to exactly, but all I know is what happens is social media has become something that we just constantly compare, and it begins that first stage of envy that we begin to see things in people. We begin to see people with things, and we begin to want what they have. And that becomes the next very, very next stage of, of uh, envy is desire. You move from comparing to now you're desiring what they have or desiring something greater. Okay, most times it's desiring something greater than what they have. I was talking about high school earlier and some of you really, you used to compare yourself a lot to the ones that were in high school with you. High school, is a, it's a messed up place. Like, somebody say amen. 
to, to the one thing, like you guys, you guys, thank you for saying amen when I say amen. But like, like high school is, is crazy, right? And we compare, compare, compare all day, whether it's sports, whether it's in band, whether it's academics, whether it's looks, we compare all day long. And, and I, if you're like me, I mean, I, I still keep track of some of them uh, that I went to high school with, and I still kind of look. And sometimes um, my sick self, I'm like, I'm a little bit more successful than them. Uh, wow, they're a lot more successful than me. Like, and that's just, that's just sick. It's envy, it's, it's something that's inside of us that none of us are proud of, none of us are gonna talk about, none of us are gonna share probably with our spouse or anyone else around us, but it's something that is inside of us that begins to eat at us and causes the decisions that we make. And that, that leads us to step number three, stage number three of envy, and that's resentment. So you move from comparing yourself towards others and what they have, and then you move to desiring what they have or something greater, desiring the advantage or greater, and then you begin to resent, okay? Maybe you can't get something greater than them. Maybe you don't have something better than them. Maybe what you do have is a lot smaller than theirs, a lot uh, weaker than theirs, a lot uh, smaller budget, a lot smaller house, a lot slower car. Like, you begin to see that there's really no way. So I'm going to resent and begin to hate this person. Maybe they don't even know. David didn't even know. In fact, we see right here, David, so what, what Saul would do is he would, bring, he would bring David in, and uh, probably you know, late at night as he's getting ready to wind down the day, um, you know, I turn on white noise, I turn on like streams of, of uh, like it's like streams out in Colorado is what it sounds like, you know. Anybody else use white noise? Mine is usually to cover up the, the cries of my children just so I can sleep. I'm just kidding, I hear them anyway because they're loud. Um, love, love my kids. But, uh, so he would bring David in, and this was kind of a part of uh, his, his relationship with David had become really close to him. Um, and so, but what he's using now is now he's like, okay, I can still keep David even, even close. I'm gonna bring him in and have him continue to play for me, play the harp. Um, and, and remember, Saul is beginning to be angry at David, and David has no clue. He's just continuing to win battles, continuing to do things. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, and it says the very next day, the very next day after Saul uh, hears the song, David has killed his 10,000s, you know, I've only killed 1,000. They're singing, you know, greater, you know, is David than me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sick of hearing this. Uh, the very next day, a tormenting or terrifying spirit um, from God overwhelmed Saul. Remember, it was God that was going to rip the kingdom out of Saul's hand. It was God that was going to strip him of his kingship because of his disobedience. So God is beginning to use this envy that's inside of him, use this jealousy that's inside of him to begin, it's the beginning of the end, the beginning of him kind of stripping this kingdom away from him. Uh, so it's a terrifying spirit from God, overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Now, Saul, we know from previous messages that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. He was um, you know, very handsome. He was a great warrior. He was very intelligent. So for Saul to miss... Okay, yes, he was raving around like a madman, but he still would have been incredibly strong and incredibly accurate with the spear. He would have been great with the sword, great with the spear. He would not have missed David once. He definitely wouldn't have missed David twice. And, and you'll see that in just a second. But what, what's happening is he is, he's like gone from uh, comparing to desiring to resenting. Now he's literally acting out in sin and he's trying to murder David based off of some envy, based off of a song, and David has no clue. David's just over here strumming a harp, singing a song, trying to help calm Saul down. He, does, he doesn't know what's going on with this guy. 
and all of a sudden he's trying to kill me? Like, I, I just did all these things for this man. I, I just helped, you know, win this massive battle. I just defeated this giant for him, and now he's trying to kill me. And here's, here's how we know that Saul began to realize there's more to David than meets the eye. There's, there's more to David than just killing a giant, is what he says. Saul was then afraid of David. So after he tried to kill him twice, Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. So you, be, you begin to see Saul's understanding of, okay, so David has a special relationship with God. He, he doesn't know he's supposed to be king. He doesn't know he's anointed king yet, but he understands something. He understands that God is with him, and right now God is not with me. Right now this envy has pushed God so far out of my heart that I don't even know if he's in this room. I don't even know if he's present because envy and jealousy and all of the things that I'm feeling in this moment have now pushed, pushed God's spirit away from me and it's protecting David and David was able to escape. And so Saul is like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna outsmart David. I'm gonna outsmart God, okay? He, he begins to think, okay, what can I do? So here's what he does next. He tries to kill him twice with a spear. That doesn't work. So finally, it says, finally Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. And David faithfully, because David is, even though he's like, okay, maybe he just, uh, Saul was just not himself that night. Saul was just, uh, he, was, he, he had lost it that night. So maybe, maybe he didn't mean to do that. I'm just gonna kind of let that go. So here's what David did faithfully because he was faithful to the kingdom, he was faithful to Saul. Faithfully, he led the troops into battle and he had victory. This, this like made Saul even angrier. And so Saul's like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. A few verses down, I'm gonna give him my daughter-in-law or my daughter in marriage and I'm going to have, him have her distract him while he's in battle and I know he's gonna be killed. So we're gonna send him off to another battle. He's gonna be distracted, wanting to come home to his wife and that distraction is going to end up killing him. Well, it doesn't. In fact, here's what it says. He tells David, he says, hey, I want you to go and kill 100 uh, Philistines for my daughter. And, and David's like, faithfully, he says, well, that, that's kind of a, a weak ask for your daughter. Uh, I, I think very highly of her. So he goes and kills 200 and brings him back. And Saul is fuming. Saul is fuming at this point, and it, it is just tearing him up inside. It is destroying him eternally. This envy has now turned into a fit of rage that will literally go on for the rest of his life. There's moments that he comes back to sanity, and he's like, I shouldn't be trying to kill David. Like, he's innocent, okay? Just like another innocent man that, that we know that was killed about a 1,000 years later. Just like another innocent man that was pushed to the cross by the crowds and the people that, that, that envied his following and envied what he was able to do. But Saul would spend the rest of his days trying to kill David, trying to destroy his life, trying to, to rip uh, anything that he had out of his hands, and it was all stemming from envy. You see, Jesus, it's so, so similar. It's, it's really cool to see how the Bible truly supports itself, truly is life-giving from Genesis to Revelation, um, because we see Jesus born, humble beginnings. He's a nobody, just kind of like David in, the, in a town of Bethlehem. He finds favor with religious leaders, right? He, he's, in, he's in the temple when he's 12 years old. He's teaching. They're amazed by his teaching. They're amazed by his first uh, miracle of turning water into wine at, in Cana at a wedding. They're amazed by all of the things he's doing and the words that he says. And, 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 and what happens is all these religious leaders come around him and they're amazed and they want, they want him in their, in their temples and they want him around and they want him to, to talk to their people and talk at their churches. And they didn't even have churches at then, but they were temples and they would bring him in and they were just amazed at how, how, how intelligent and amazing he was uh, to be around. And so he started gaining followers, and that's when they begin to have issues because here's what happened. He gains a massive following. More and more people are beginning to believe that maybe this is the Messiah. 
And you see, they were so upset because the Messiah was supposed to come in and destroy the kingdoms of earth. He was supposed to come in and, and flip earth upside down and be the kingdom that literally would sit with a sword in hand on a throne and for all to see. And then they would rise up and they would be the greatest kingdom on earth. Like that was so, so what was supposed to happen. But instead he comes as a servant, as a nobody, out of, not out of a royal line or anything. Like, or, uh, Jesus does come out of David, but like, it's not the royalty they were expecting him to come out of. They were expecting him to come and be born of a king and all of these crazy things. And so he gains this massive following. He's not who he's supposed to be. And envy begins to rot their hearts. Envy begins to tear them up. And envy is obviously what pushes them to Jesus' death on the cross. Envy is one of those things that's probably in us all that we really don't even realize is there. It's our sin nature. It's our envy nature. It's something that's in us that we begin to envy people without even realizing that, that, that we're doing it. They don't realize we're doing it. We don't realize we're doing it. It's become a part of our nature. Andy Stanley is a pastor of, of a large church, and he, he preached a, a message on envy, and this is what he said. I loved how he said this. Envy is not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. It's something that's inside of us. It's not something that's probably ever going to just go away, and we're never going to envy anybody ever again. Uh, it's something that's inside all of us, and it's a tension that we have to manage. So if we know we have the three stages of envy, we know we compare, we desire, and we resent, we've got to be able to combat that in some way. We've got to be able to, to have a, a, an opportunity to push it to the side, to squish it down, to say, envy, like, you don't own me. Envy, you, you're not a part of me. I'm not going to envy what they have. I'm, I'm going to actually love what I have, and I'm going to love that person. I'm going to be happy for them, and I'm not going to allow that person's happiness to become my unhappiness. Because you see, envy begins to take root when our unhappiness is based on someone else's happiness. And a lot of times, they don't even know. There are three important characters in, the, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And before I get there, um, another character that would come along of, uh, several years later, his name's Solomon, he's King David's son. He pins these words and he says in Proverbs chapter 14, he says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots to the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body. When we're choosing not to envy, we, we're living at peace. We're living in contentment. We're living in joy in the moment. We're not allowing envy to rot us from the inside out. In fact, envy is something that, it's like, like I told you, it's an internal thing that has to be managed. It's something that's been around since literally the beginning of time. Not even just the beginning of humanity, the beginning of time. There was this Lucifer, this angel in heaven named Lucifer, beautiful angel. Uh, we, see, we see in Isaiah and Ezekiel that he was an angel that began to envy and have pride and jealousy towards God and thought that he was strong enough and he was more beautiful and that he should rule the kingdom of heaven. And so God cast him down, and that's literally why we have Satan in hell today is because of envy. Lucifer in heaven, this beautiful angel, had the, the perfect setup for life okay, up, in, up in heaven with God, and he began to envy what God had. He began to want, and, 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 I, and Ezekiel, it actually says, I want to be higher than God. I want to be higher than uh, the, 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 the Lord Almighty. And, and so God himself casts Satan into hell, and, and there, that becomes uh, the reason we have hell today. And then Satan comes along after man is created, living in a, an, another perfect scenario, perfect situation. And he begins to seed envy in Eve and Adam's heart with the fruit that could literally turn them into a God. The same envy that he wanted, he wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God and know all and be all and say all. He began to see that in their own hearts. And that's literally what caused them to stumble. What caused the, the very first sin in humanity to ever happen was them eating the fruit that God said, hey, of all the fruit in the garden, just don't eat this one. 
of all the fruit I've given you, of all of the, the things I've given you to eat, just don't eat this one. And, and Satan was like, it's because you'll become like God. You'll begin to know good and evil. And there was envy in their hearts. Well, why does God get to do that? Why don't I get to do that? Well, why, why does he get to know all and, and say all? Well, why, why does he get to know the difference between good and evil? And then that's when sin entered the world, when they were cast out of the garden. And then the very next sin that happens outside of the garden, it's just step by step by step. It's the, the sin that happened in heaven, the sin that happened in the garden, the very first sin ever recorded outside of the garden is based out of envy. And it's Cain and Abel. God is really pleased with the, the sacrifice that Abel brings. Abel brings the very best sacrifice. And God tells Cain, I'm not pleased with your sacrifice. I'm not pleased with what you've brought me. Abel has brought the best sacrifice. And all of a sudden Cain begins to f like fuel with rage and envy inside of him. And he goes and he murders his brother. And we have the very first murder uh, in, in the history of mankind based off of envy. It will tear you up inside. It will rot your bones. It will rot you from the inside. Envy is something that's internal and it's a disgusting thing that if not caught, if not managed, it will make you spiral out of control. Maybe it doesn't cause you to murder. Maybe it doesn't cause you to try to kill somebody, but it will cause you to make decisions in your life that you would not have made if you could have just understood that God has given me what he has given me and I can be blessed and I can be content and peace will give me life. Being at peace will bring life to my, to, to, to my bones. Bringing it, peace will bring life inside of my heart, not envy. So we're gonna focus on three things that we can use to combat envy. Remember, we, we have comparison, we have desire and we have resentment. Those are the three stages of envy that will end up causing you, sin is crouching at your door. That, that God says that to Cain, sin is crouching at your door before he goes and kills Abel. God could sense the envy in his heart and he says, sin is crouching at your door. Those things will cause sin to crouch at your door and probably cause you to fall into some sort of sin that you never would have done if you never would have just envied in the first place. So how do we do that? Before I jump into those three things, I wanna show you something I skipped over in the very first, uh, chapter, first part of the chapter of, of 1 Samuel 18. And it, there's three characters in this chapter that are really important. Um, one is obviously King Saul, he's still the king. Um, and you know, e even though he's, uh, his, his kingdom is beginning to be stripped away, God's still using him to do, do the things he's called him to do. God's still using him to defeat the nations that were coming against Israel. We have David who's not a king, he's a, a you know, unknown boy who's come onto the scene, had massive success, and now Saul is obviously outraged by his success and thinking that they're gonna make him a king. Like, I, I feel it, I know it, I, I'm envious of this, I'm, I'm jealous of this, so I'm gonna keep him around. But there's one individual that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Jonathan. This is Jonathan, which is Saul's firstborn son. Now, Jonathan, we meet Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, and Jonathan has massive success of his own. Jonathan is the firstborn son who goes and destroys many armies, has massive success, and does incredible things for the kingdom of Israel. And so it's slated, like, like every other nation, like every other kingdom, you have King Saul, you have his firstborn son. Well, that should be, that should be the next up and coming king. And I, I guarantee you that's what Saul wants. Saul wants his lineage, his heritage. He wants the legacy of, of, of King Saul to continue through his son. But, but here's the beautiful thing, because if anybody had the right to be envious, it would be Jonathan. It absolutely would be Jonathan. And I'm not saying that, that he has a right, not, no one should ever have a right to envy, but it would make a lot more sense that if he was envious, like we, we would understand. He's, he's next in line for the throne. He's next in line to be king. But here's actually what he does and it's gonna teach us a lesson and it's gonna give us some, some points that we can go off of when we begin to feel the envy monster creeping up inside of us, when we begin to feel those things inside of us, rotting our bones. 
First Samuel chapter 18, verse one says, David and Saul had finished talking. This is after um, his, uh, his uh, right-hand man had brought David with, with Goliath's head. This is just setting this story up. David and Saul had finished talking and soon David and Jonathan, Saul's oldest son, became best friends. Jonathan thought as much of David as he thought of himself. And from that time on, Saul kept David in his service and would not let, he would not let David go back to his own family. Jonathan liked David so much that they promised to always be loyal friends. Okay, now get this. They promised to always be loyal friends. And then Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David. He also gave him his military clothes, his sword, his bow, and his arrows in his belt. You see in that moment, what Jonathan did is he realized probably in the same way that Saul realized God is with David, except it was out of anger. He began to see and, and be frustrated and try to kill him. Jonathan also realized that God was with David and he said, I'm gonna be loyal with you to the end. In fact, I'm stripping what is rightfully mine and I'm giving it to you because I understand that I'm, in, I'm next in line for the throne. I've been working my whole life for this. I've been ready for this. I've been ready to take the throne, but I understand there's something special about you. And instead of being envious and allowing it to rot my bones, I'm gonna give you everything I have. And he did, he gave him his royal robes, his royal garments. He gave him his sword, which is, the, the, it, would, it would have been a sword that was uh, all kinds of ornate things on it, representing royalty in, in, in the kingdom of Israel. He gave him all of his weapons. And it doesn't say this here. And so this is, a, I'm taking a little bit of leeway, but, but I would assume there was some sort of exchange where maybe he kneeled down and said, hey, I'm gonna be loyal to you. In this moment, I'm gonna be loyal to you for the rest of our life. And he was, because Saul would go on to try to kill David so many times. And Jonathan would save his life multiple times. He would say, hey, my father's coming, go hide here. Hey, my father's here, run here. He would go to his father and say, hey, he's an innocent man. Let him go. Just like another innocent man that gave his life and gave his royalty and gave everything he had so that you could have royalty. You see, what's, what's really interesting and, and beautiful about this passage is Jesus doesn't just represent David here. David just doesn't represent Jesus here. But Jonathan also represents Jesus because like he was a son of the king, we have our son of the king that stepped off the throne room of heaven, that stepped out of heaven, took off his royal garments, laid down his sword, Everybody wanted him to pick up the sword. Everybody wanted him to lead with his righteous right hand and destroy everyone. But instead he lays it all down for you. And he gives royalty to you. He hands life to you. He gives all that he has to you because he loves you. He cherishes you. He wants you to be king. He, he, he wants you to, to experience what royalty feels like. He wants you to be a son and daughter and so he lays everything down. And three things that Jonathan does here to combat envy, because I'm guarantee, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, this was a struggle for him, but he did it. He chose instead of to compare it to be content in what God had given him, he chose to understand and look at his life and say, God has given me an incredible life here and I'm gonna choose to be content and understand that I'm blessed here. And I'm gonna give what I have to David the true and up and coming king, and I'm gonna be loyal to him. Instead of desiring what David would have, instead of desiring, he chose to direct the attention of what he did have. And, and what we have to understand is we've got to stop looking at other people's things and stop looking at what other people have because here's what it does, it devalues who you are to God. 
Every, every single time we envy someone else, you're devaluing how much God loves you, how much God values you, how much what God is giving you is what he wants to use you to do incredible things. God needs a you, he doesn't need another them. Because you know what, he needs them to do what he's called us to do, what he's called them to do. He needs you to do what he's called you to do. And the moment we begin to envy what they have, we begin to lose track of what he has for us. So we move out of comparing and we move into contentment. We, we move into understanding when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was not saying, I, I get all these superpowers when I say this. He was saying, I've dealt with having a lot and I've dealt with having a little. I've been in prison and I haven't. I've been stranded and I haven't. But I know that I can be content in all things. And in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like he's saying, it's the ultimate contentment, it's the ultimate peace. It's the lacking of the rotting of the bones that of the, the, the envy is causing, and it's that overwhelming sense of peace knowing God's got this, I can be content. I move from desiring what they have, and I direct to what I have. And I understand God has given me a really blessed life. I've had some obstacles I've had to overcome. I've had some difficulties, but I can trust that he's good. And I can trust that no matter if it's a financial decision, if, it's a, if there's something wrong in our family, if there's something wrong with my spouse, if there's something wrong with my marriage, if there's a health issue in my family, that God has given me everything I need to get through this. And I know that he's gonna see me through this. And the very last thing, the thing that we have to do, the thing that Jonathan had to do in order to be loyal to David was we have to remove ourselves from the throne. We have to remove ourselves from the throne. He removed himself willingly from the throne, just like Jesus did. Jesus willingly stepped out of heaven for you because you know what, at any moment, he could have said, I'm done, I can't do this, I can't take this. He even asked God, he said, Father, if, if, if it could be your will, maybe make this cup pass me because this is gonna be hard. I'm literally on the stage of human history about to give up everything. I'm literally about to lose my birthright for them and it's, it's gonna be hard and, and, and we, we see this incredible imagery of him in the garden, just sweating blood because he's feeling the pain and the turmoil of what he's about to experience. But all of the while he was thinking of you and knowing I want them to be royalty. I want them to be son and daughters of the one true king. And, and I'm gonna strip myself of royalty so that they can feel it, so that they can be that. I'm gonna choose death so that they can have life. Every time you envy someone else and what they have, the advantages they have over you, the things they have that you don't, you're devaluing who God is to you. He loves you, he knows you, he's a personal father to you. And he wants you to understand that he's there with you and you can forget about envy and you can focus on what he has for you. Because he did, he gave it all for you. He gave his son for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm not David or Jonathan, I've really struggled. I've been a lot more like King Saul. I've been envious and I've allowed envy to drive my decision-making. I've allowed envy to drive my, my path, my career, all of the things. Well, you know what? what's cool about this is at any moment, Saul probably could have just asked for forgiveness and turned and, and who knows what would have happened. He, he still would have lost everything, but envy rotted his bones and rotted his mind and destroyed him. And what's beautiful about God is he's already given you what you need. You just have to step off the throne. Like Jonathan, you just have to give up the throne of your heart, the throne of your life and say, I'd rather the real king be the leader of my life. I don't wanna envy anymore. I don't wanna compare. I don't wanna desire. I don't wanna resent. It's exhausting. 
I'd rather just give you everything because you gave me everything. Maybe you're in this room and that's you today and you're like, I, I wanna make that decision. With every eye closed, maybe you're in Nacogdoches, you're online, and you're like, today I need to step off the kingdom, the throne of my own heart. I need to strip myself of all of this because I need to give it to the one true king. And you wanna give your life to the one king that gave his life for you, that stripped himself for you so that you could experience royalty, so you could be a son or daughter of the one true king. If that's you in here or the, you online, would you just raise your hand where you're at? I see your hands. I'm just gonna pray this prayer over you and, and also for those that you might have a life riddled with envy, I'm gonna pray this prayer and, and, and you can literally just say, God, just, just help me. Help me manage this envy. Help me, help me to, to, to fix this rottingness in my bones. And as I pray this, just accept this prayer over your life. For those of you that are giving your life to Jesus, you're stepping off of the throne of your own heart and you're giving your throne to him, just accept this prayer and just say, Jesus, today I step off the throne and I give it to you, the one true king. Jesus, we love you and we're so grateful for you making the decision. You weren't forced to make this decision, you chose to make this decision for us to remove yourself, to strip yourself from royalty as the son of the living God, to give us life and you chose death. And today, today, Jesus, we step off of the throne of our hearts and we say, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, be the king of my life. Today, I give you everything. For those of us that are in here, for those of us that are struggling with envying, we, we've lost control. We, we envy and we want what others have. Father, I pray that you'll help us to find contentment and knowing that you are a good, good father who gives good gifts to his children. And God, you haven't given us a lesser life than someone else. We just have to find the joy in the life that you've given us. I pray God that that joy would be so evident right now. God, that your arms, the arms of a father would wrap around us. Father, we would feel peace in our heart instead of rot in our bones. Jesus, and I pray that lives would be changed and that you would be our king forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said?